Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we wish you all a happy Thanksgiving and have Matt tell us what it was like to go through fun employment. Stick around. That's coming up next. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed, and please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dan Maseka. And once again, we welcome certified financial planner, Matt Trogdon, to the show. Hey, guys. How you doing? Great to see you. And it is Thanksgiving week, which sounds just unbelievable. I feel like part of the condition of being an adult is just consistently being shocked by whatever day and time of year it is. It always seems too early, but uh, Thanksgiving is is out there and and it's the season. It is. I always feel bad. There's this um, farm slash park near where I live. And right now there are a lot of very large turkeys hanging out in a in a coop over there. And I know that next week they will all be gone. Wow. Well, that that is uh, that does seem a little bit dark. I, I realize that has to happen for us to enjoy a Thanksgiving turkey, but uh, that's not the part of the experience that, that I particularly enjoy seeing. But it is part of the circle of life, Ross. Understood. Yeah, I I, I worked at Smithfield Foods uh, as an intern when I was in college. I, I, I am all too familiar with what that piece of the process looks like. Well, so before we get into it, let's do a little bit of Thanksgiving reflection. And I don't, I don't think that we had prepared for this at all. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. But uh, I, for one, am really appreciative of a number of things this year. And, you know, as I think about what's going on, that feeling of gratitude has really helped me. I think anybody that has started a business that has gone through difficult times, but just that that moment of being grateful is really powerful. And, and I've tried to, to kind of wallow in that at many points during the year, but grateful for the opportunity that we have to kind of pursue our own uh, business together and, and certainly for the team that we're putting together. So I will kick that off. What do you guys have on, on your list of, of things that you're grateful for this year? I feel like I'm being put on the spot at Thanksgiving dinner right now. I know you are. I, I did that on purpose. I know. I love it. Well, I am thankful for you guys. Um, it's been a very odd time to feel thankful when there's so much happening around us that that makes it difficult to focus on areas where we're fortunate. But one thing where I do feel fortunate is certainly like I'm happy to be in business with you two. Also happy to have spent a lot of close time with my family. And uh, you know, un- even though the circumstances are not under which anyone would hope to have to do so, I, I do think that's a opportunity that many don't get to be forced into family time and really get to know and appreciate each other in that way. Um, so thankful for family. Matt, what you got? Uh, yeah, thanks. I will just I'll echo kind of what you guys have both said here. Uh, I'm certainly thankful to be able to spend more time with you guys um, and work together and, and come on the show every once in a while. Um, I've had a pretty eventful year. Um, I got engaged earlier this year, so definitely grateful for that. Um, and my fiance just got back um, into town after three months away for work. So um, both the dog and I are thankful to have her back home um, safe and sound and healthy. 
Love that. And we're going to talk a little bit about your transition uh, in just a minute here. But the last thing I will add, because I think it's really important, uh, I'm thankful for everybody that has listened to this show. All of our listeners, anybody that's written in with a question, it's really great for us. Uh, you know, we kind of start and you put something like this out and you just hope that it connects somewhere. And, and I realize that we're not going to be the perfect show for everybody or, um, you know, the perfect hosts for, for everybody in terms of what we can cover. But uh, if this has done anything for you uh, to make you, stronger financially to help you make better decisions. Um, just know that that we're very, very appreciative of everybody that chooses to spend a little bit of time with us each week. For my whole life, I've been really bad with expressing feelings like this. My friends and I always aired grievances. So I think next year, we should do an airing of grievances in lieu of this moment of, of appreciation and love. And uh, to our listeners too, it's maybe we'll do a Festivus episode in a few weeks. Send them all out there. Air your grievances. Tell us how we've disappointed you in the last year, and we'll read them on our Festivus episode. I like that idea quite a bit, Dan. I mean, there's no doubt about it that that's the easier one to do, right? And and I, I, I in many ways, like that snark, and 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 I, I can spend lots of time in that. That could be a long show for me if I'm just airing grievances. But I, I do think it's it's important to spend some time kind of on the other side of that, being being appreciative. But. Let's move into our topic today. And Matt, you're joining us because you wrote an article, which for folks out there, and we will link this in the show notes as well, but this is for the Humble Dollar. That's correct. And the article is called Preservation Mode. Kick us off, Matt. What did you write this for? I guess, what what was in your head as you started to work on this piece? Yeah, so um, thanks for the question. I um, So I switched jobs, you know, late summer. Um, and there was a bit of a window there where um, I was in between jobs and, and figuring out what I wanted to do. And I always find that it's very funny when you exhibit a behavior or you experience a feeling that as a financial planner, um, you often talk to clients about, right? So um, for me, switching jobs and having a little period of uncertainty, I've, I noticed in myself that I went kind of immediately and almost unconsciously from thinking about growth of of wealth into thinking about preservation of wealth. Um, so, you know, for I'm only 39, you know, I've I've been employed with a steady salary my whole career. And so I have talked to retirees about the transition of going from work to not working and the mindset shift that might happen there. Um, but to experience it myself as quickly as I did was really funny to me. It was really amusing. And so uh, I wrote this piece just about maybe four or five things that I found myself thinking about that I would not have been thinking about you know, had I not made a shift. All right. So, and, and, and you're right. This is something that we talk about both on this show and, and individually with clients a lot. And I think that that cut over from being an accumulator, from being somebody that is trying to add to their wealth, from being a saver, to flipping the switch and being a decumulator and living on the assets and not adding to them, and maybe not even having the expectation that your balances are going to go up on a weekly, monthly, annual basis, you know, whatever, whatever measuring stick we're, we're talking about, that is a nerve-wracking time period. Uh, and I think it's one of the most common spots that people do reach out to financial planners and get that gut check. Because even for a do-it-yourselfer investor that's been very successful in the markets or you know an indexer, whatever they're doing on their own, 
that's normally a new experience for most investors is kind of flipping that switch. And you got to basically go through that. I guess, what was your list? What what did you kind of put that into? Right. And and to kind of focus on the first part of it, you know, this was a planned transition for you. So I'd be interested to know specifically leading up to that moment where you flipped from earning to spending, kind of what were you doing in that period? You know, leading up to that moment, you know, I was able to kind of stockpile some savings. I was able to, you know, just through some other transactions from earlier in the year. So the first thing was, let's make sure we have some savings. My fiance and I have talked about buying a house. Um, We have talked about whether we're going to need to fund our wedding or not. And so there had been some savings that had been set aside for those already. And because of this transition, you know, that money went from, okay, this is set aside for a house purchase to now it's earmarked uh, so that Matt has something to live off of for a little while if he needs You commandeered the house fund? I think I did. Yeah. I commandeered okay. the house fund. Better, better that than the wedding fund. Yes. Yes. So... So that that gets us to sort of the transition point. At the transition point, you know, it was really sort of like a weekend where I started to kind of think about this this different stuff. Um, so the first question was, you know, how much money do I really need to support myself on a month to month basis? And you know, up until now, I, I had been working at um, jobs where I'd had a four hundred one k, and so I was setting aside you know, a good amount of money for retirement savings. But then when I started to think like, okay, how much do I actually need? You know, you take your salary, you take the salary that you've gotten used to living off of, you strip out the retirement savings that you were making because you're not going to be doing that for a while. Um, You strip out the social security that you're paying because you're not going to be doing that for a while. And then that kind of gets you to that number that you've actually been subsisting off of, right? And so... That was my first. That was my first question. Um, the second question was, um, for the investment portfolio that I have, is there a way that I can restructure it, or a way that I can do something different, different in it, in order to start taking income from it? You know, a, a, as a still fairly young guy like you guys are, you know, my I've always been invested for growth, um, and this was the first time I really started thinking about, you know, should I? pivot a little bit to at least invest part of the portfolio for income. Um, because every dollar in income that I can take away from the portfolio is, a, is, is one less dollar that I need to find somewhere else, right? The third question was, all right, take a look at the portfolio and ask yourself, if I needed to sell some assets, what would be the assets that I would sell? And in which order would I do it? The fourth question was, Okay, if I don't necessarily want to go back to work full time, um, because admittedly, like fun employment was pretty fun for a while. You know, I was taking the dog on long walks. I was having um, very relaxing cups of coffee in the morning. Uh, and so, if I if I didn't want to go back full time nine to five, what part time gigs were there available that I could use to supplement? income. Um, and then the fifth thing is, which is not didn't make it in the article, but was certainly on my mind was, how much does health insurance cost? Because that's not something that I've had to worry about. And then very quickly, holy cow, is health insurance really this expensive? <laughs> because that, again, is not something I had to worry about. Uh, so those were my five 
questions that I was pondering during my, my fun employment period. And the amazing thing about that is that that is almost exactly the process we talk about for retirement planning. Yeah, sure. Dan and I typically, rather than shifting to a dividend focus, because I think that is a common question of should I flip my portfolio over, we tend to talk about a carve-out strategy. And a carve-out strategy just means that we're going to set aside enough cash and enough in safe assets that we can kind of weather the storms. We can go through those ups and downs, and we're not worried about having to take that income from the portfolio on a day-to-day, month-to-month basis that it's there. But in your situation, it's a little bit unique because I think in many respects, you didn't know how long to be preparing for, right? In, in retirement, we're preparing for years, and we should be. But for you, it could have been a couple months. It could have been a year or two if you wanted it to be. Sure. And it's interesting if I knew this was going to be a longer thing. So if I was a retiree, you know, I think I would have to get used to the idea that I'm going to start watching my my portfolio number go down because I'm going to start pulling money out of the portfolio. That idea to me at this point is a very uncomfortable idea. Right. I am not used to that that way of thinking. Right. Um, and so for me, that's where like, okay, where can I generate some income so I don't have to pull money out of the portfolio came into play. So yeah. So I you know, it, it gives me a lot of it gives me some insight into the emotional effect that make you know, that seeing that number drop will have um, for a lot of retirees and for myself when I eventually when I eventually call it quits. So from the mechanical side, I think one interesting thing about shifting to that dividend income type investment is a lot of brokers will allow you to have dividends and income payments move right into your bank account. So for people in that mode, that's one thing you can explore because it feels more like a paycheck, right? If if your money is just growing within your brokerage account, it's sometimes hard to see the effects of that decision you've made. Um, but if you find yourself in a situation like like Matt explained, where you're looking to generate current income from your investments, that might be one thing worth checking to see if you can have dividend and income payments just move right into a bank account that's linked to your brokerage. The other thing that I do think helps, and and I talk about this with clients when we when we do talk about the carve out strategy, is even though we're going to try and set aside a cash pile, and let's say just as an example. We want a full year's worth of what you're going to spend in cash just sitting around in like a high yield savings. I would then turn on at whatever frequency your pay cycle has been. If it's been twice a week or excuse me, every two weeks, if it has been once a month, whatever you're used to being paid, I would set up a recurring transfer so that your budgeting mechanism basically stays the same. So that you've got money flowing in to your main spending account, you know, whatever that checking account is that you're using for kind of day-to-day bills. And I would keep the big pile away. Now, for some people, they don't have that temptation. But I know as a person that has gone through my own spending issues, certainly early in my career, having that money separate for me is important. I don't want to look when I go in and look at my checking account and see checking, savings, and total. Because I know I'm going to anchor to that total number. And if it's sitting at some huge amount that I'm not used to having in liquid cash, I would worry about feeling that 
just lack of pressure that there's too much cash sitting there. And now I'm not worried about constricting my spending. So I would actually go almost the other way if I saw that big number sitting there versus if I was kind of paying myself a salary out of this separate savings account. I, maybe that structure doesn't help anybody else but me, but, but I do think that that's a meaningful difference in having it at a separate institution and kind of dripping that money in. Yeah. At a minimum, it's more comfortable because it's what you're used to from your working days, right? And the way I used to explain that to people is almost like a waterfall strategy or an overflowing bucket strategy where the money moves from your long-term investments, trickles into that savings, and then from that savings into your checking account so that there's a system in place as to how you're going to start using and spending that money. So where did you land, Matt? Did you end up uh, converting everything to to a dividend portfolio or are you still invested that way now? And and does does your portfolio reflect kind of your your current view of the world? No, I, I didn't make too many changes. I, um, I, I'm keeping more money in cash than I normally would. Um, like we said at the top, I did, I did go off of auto dividend reinvestment, kind of like Dan mentioned. So now if I get a dividend, I just take it in cash and then I transfer it over to my checking account. You all mentioned on a previous podcast, the put writing strategy. Um, so I, I've dabbled in that a little bit here and there, and that's been an interesting one. Um, but I haven't made too many changes to the portfolio yet. But I did get really clear on what's in here that's liquid, what's in here that if I had to sell it, it would um, it would register a capital gain, what's in here that's safe, uh, what's in here that, that's that's going to be um, easy to get to if I need it. So, and I can always, if I need to, I can always go back to you know a more traditional kind of salaried and benefits position, right? But so I, I didn't make too many changes. Um, we're, we're still mostly mostly growth oriented. The other thing that I'm curious about, uh, your number four item that was in the article was part-time or gig work. What did you explore in that space? You know, what, Were you thinking that you had kind of a channel in that area that was going to be particularly fun for you or did you not actually get that far into it? So I do a little bit of writing on the side. Um, so that, that's that's a spot where I can make a little bit extra income. Um, I do a little uh, a little teaching on the side with uh, through Babson College financial literacy seminars and whatnot. So that's a little bit extra income. The only kind of side gig, and I know that this is a company full of great side gigs. Um, Dan with you or Ross with your DJing, and Dan with your various and multiple businesses. The only thing that comes to mind right now is I have lightly considered starting a dog walking side gig. I walk my dog all the time. We live in a, a condo building where there was a resident dog walker pre-pandemic, um, but he left. And so I have thought about topic, or trying to tap into the local market and walking a dog here and there uh, in order to make a little bit extra money. I'm surprised that you weren't over at the golf course, like signing up to be the starter just to get like free golf and, and make a few bucks that way. I considered that one too. I, I don't know that that is, uh, you know, it, it's funny though, right? You know, you do have to, there is a cost benefit analysis there, right? So it's like, if you can, you know, if you're going to go be a starter somewhere and they're going to, they're going to need to pay you a certain amount of money to make it worth your time, right? Because um, I know what I can get if I write an article. I know what I can get if I teach a seminar. And so as fun as it would be, I think, to be a golf starter, I don't know as far as 
Um, if I want to get my as much bang for my buck per hour, I don't know that that would necessarily be the best bet. But it did cross my mind. There are not many positions in this world that I think let their power go to their head as much as a golf starter has the capacity to do. I have yeah, seen I'm some, usually I'm the guy that argues with the starter. <laughs> so I, I would have a try of trouble being on the other end of that. I'm hitting from the tips and I don't care what he has to say about it. All right. <laughs> all you need from a golf starter is, you know, a kind word here and there, uh, a little bit, you know, give me one, one piece of advice on how to play the course and just send me on my way. But as Dan likes to, as Dan says, some of them just like to be, um, you know, let, let their power go to their head. And it's, it's unfortunate. I've been working my way back through the Seinfeld catalog now that it's on Netflix. And, uh, there was the, the guy in, in Jerry's building who moved cars from one side of the block to the other. So they didn't get ticketed. So uh, you can throw that in your potential job, uh, for your neighborhood. I love that. Well, awesome. Well, Matt, I appreciate you sharing your story. Uh, I do think as financial planners, the more things that we've gone through personally, makes us stronger at it. And even though you can study a topic and and you can read about it and even talk to folks that have gone through it, there's just something to be said for actually going through it, right? If you're trying to give somebody advice on refinancing a mortgage and you've just never done it yourself, I think it's challenging. You should talk to me. <laughs> yeah, talk, yeah talk, talk to Dan. He, he does it, like I said last week, for sport. But uh, you know th- those types of things, um, we actually did get a question on that. Hang on, let me pull that up. We're doing it live. Let's go, Ross. Yeah, and while while you're looking that up, Ross, I you know I, I will throw the caveat there that like in no way am I trying to compare my situation to the the situation facing a retiree, but you know I do think I might have gotten just a, the slightest taste of it, and like you said, I, I do think it gives me more of an appreciation for what those folks are facing. Well, in in many regards, you had a very accelerated version of that, right? You, you had a shorter time to prepare. Mm-hmm. And I mean, all, still an unknown end date for for that plan, and had to go through the same kind of decision making that they have to go through. So I, I do think it's very relevant. And and Ross, I think that was a very smart point that finding a planner who you can relate to in with real life experience being being one of the metrics is is important. And that's why talking with your planners and getting to know them is such an important part of that interview process. Which maybe there's something weird to be said that, you know, most financial planners that are working are not retired, right? Just like by definition, the thing that we're helping people with is not something that we've actually done. But uh, I do think that we've gotten at least enough reps to, to go through it and feel like we've had some success there. All right. So I did have a question on this. So I'm going to circle back to it since we've got a little bit of time. This comes from Jelly, who's uh, been listening to our show for a little while. Appreciate that. Said, hello, I'm one of those people that did not refinance my mortgage recently. Bought our condo in 2010 with a whopping five and a quarter percent interest rate. A few years ago, started to add a small amount of money to the principal. Now, after hearing our podcast, made me think that maybe it's a good time to refinance. FICO score of 800 plus. I don't think this will be our forever home. We do need a house eventually in a few, and it says two plus years because I think we're going to anchor to that. I have so many questions about the process of refinancing and if it's really worth it for us. Hopefully, you can shed some light on that issue for me. As always, love your podcast. Thank you so much, Jelly. Dan, does that two plus years catch your ear as much as it did for me when I read this? It does, because that's a very important piece of it. Refinancing is not free. 
there are costs involved somewhere in the process. Now, how you choose to pay for them may vary, but typically, if you plan on being your in your home for only a short period of time, those costs may outweigh the benefit of a refinance if you're planning to sell. Now, if you're planning to hold on to the house, that changes that changes the decision making process, and it might ultimately be worthwhile for you. Right. Both if you're going to hold on to it either as like a rental and you're just going to continue to to hang on to it or if you're going to continue to live into it because I think those those make a huge difference. If it's two years, I would say that it probably doesn't make sense. If it's the plus two plus years that you're going to own the property, then it becomes a question of what really does that plus mean realistically? Because I, I think in most cases, your cost to refinance is going to be what, at least about 1% of the loan value that you're either going to add back in or pay in terms of -of out-of-pocket costs? Right. That's right. Now, there are many lenders out there who will help pay those closing costs for you. And sometimes they'll do that by increasing the rate that you're paying them. So if you can find someone who can kind of wrap that cost into just a higher rate for you, and you're not truly out-of-pocket, maybe there's still an advantage to doing it if there's an unknown end date that you'll be in the property. But you really want to be mindful of how you will be paying those costs because you're going to pay them somehow. Right. And so an example there would be that you're going to accept a a rate of like 3.35 rather than 2.95, right? So you're probably still going to get a meaningful drop from at five and a quarter percent, but maybe not quite as low as it could be. And as like what you would want to do if you were going to stay in that property for a very long period of time. Right. Now, the process of refinancing is fairly similar to the process you went through when you bought the home. They're going to go through income verification, looking at all of your assets, pulling your credit, probably doing an appraisal of your property, all to make sure that they can lend to you, which sometimes is funny because you're already paying a mortgage and have been for a long time. So why why shouldn't you pay less? Uh, but it's going to be fairly involved from a data gathering perspective. They're going to want to see your tax returns, pay stubs, all that fun stuff who, if you're like me, you have it ready to shoot out in two minutes. Uh, but you know, sometimes it's a little bit more, more of a process to get everything ready. Um, so if anyone is, has not refinanced and is looking to do so, you know, I would be prepared for a little bit of work on your end to get them everything that they're going to need. I hope that helps, Jelly. If you've got a question like Jelly did, please send us an email. Check your balances at outlook.com is the email address for our show. Matt, so appreciative of you coming on, sharing some of your personal experience with us today. And uh, for everybody out there, have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and we'll catch you next week. Feel like an ass for not being thankful for anything. <laughs>